relationship with your skeleton? It helps me stand up. Do you think, oh yeah, at all times there's a skeleton inside me? No, like, I don't know. I don't know that I really think about it from day to day. You don't think that when you die and decompose, that's just your skeleton hatching? Ew. <laughs> that's really gross. No, no that's, that's like the grossest thing I've thought of all day. <laughs> your skeleton is coming to life, and now it's skeleton's time to shine. <laughs> I think a lot of people don't realize that there's skeleton. Well, they realize it, but they don't like to think about it. I like to think about my skeleton. You do? Yeah. Are you guys best friends? Yeah, well, it's, it's kind of like the, the, the essence of me. So you are your skeleton. The core of me is my skeleton. But your skeleton isn't like a separate being from no, you. No, no. Okay. But I think people often use like, oh, at the heart of it. I, I think we should say like, oh, at the skeleton of it. At my skeleton, I'm really A. And then you could talk about like what kind of person you really are at the skeleton level. Oh, okay. Interesting. Beauty is only skin deep. But True. the skeleton, skeleton is forever. Skeletons don't lie. Yeah. Wait. Can they? They might. Oh, I don't know. They tell when you lie. Like that time when it goes, Lydia lied to her parents. Oh, yeah, that's right. That episode of Beetlejuice. Should we start this episode? Oh, are we doing something here? Yeah, let's do a podcast. Oh, sure. Hola y bienvenido a Me Encanta Esto. Tú también deberías. Soy tu anfitrión indie, el fantasma Randawa. Y esta... Es mi amigo Samantha, como se dice por seco en español, he's. <laughs> ¿Cómo estás, Samantha? Bueno. ¿Y Mood... poquito borracho? I don't know. I can't sí. remember what borracho is. <laughs> this is hard. <laughs> I didn't get ready for a Spanish podcast. But we watched a Spanish movie. We did. So we're going to do the whole episode in Spanish, right? Maybe. My mangled mispronounced Spanish. <laughs> there are people listening right now that are like cringing. Yeah. Jasmine's but... probably cringing as she runs. Well, I don't know which what the word for should is. My Spanish isn't great is what I'm saying. Right, okay. <laughs> so I often default to French stuff because I know French. True. Or let's do the introduction in English yeah. as well. Yes. Uh, do you want to know what I said in Spanish? Yes, I do. <laughs> I said that my name, I'm your host. Indie, the ghost Randawa, but Fantasma sounds right. so much better. It it's does. one of my favorite Spanish it's words. It's a good Spanish word. Yeah. El Fantasma. If I were ever a uh, luchador wrestler, You'd my name would be El Fantasma. Fantasma. And um, this is my friend, Samantha. Oh, <laughs> we're I, just friends. <laughs> I said Fred because I didn't know co for co-host. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, um, and I might have said amigo instead of amiga. Yeah, you said amigo. Eh, whatever. <laughs> We're just friends. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Samantha, how do you say Prosecco in Spanish? He's. Oh, hello. <laughs> and this is an episode of I Love This, You Should Too. And we are part of the Alberta Podcast Network, which is locally grown and community supported. Yeah. And we're here in the middle of Spooktober now doing our second spooky episode. Spooky. Our first sponsor of the day is uh, the Alberta Podcast Network, which we just told you we are proud members of. And some of our fellow Alberta Podcast Network podcasters are doing spooky Halloween episodes as well. So I Ooh. shouted out a few last time. Um, this time I have one uh, called Quantum Kickflip. 
which is a sci-fi actual play podcast based on the game Slug Blaster, and it's an Edmonton-made tabletop role-playing game. Oh, wow. I don't know about this. Yeah. This is interesting. So basically the premise is board teams travel to other dimensions using their modified hoverboards and fight monsters with souped up devices. All right. I'm yeah. Uh, so the first episode of Quantum Kickflip took place on the first day of high school. And in October's episode, the crew travels to the walking pits and faces off against shape-shifting doppelgangers in an homage to John Carpenter's The Thing. Oh, I do like The Thing. And we're also going to talk about doppelgangers a little today. Yeah. So Quantum Kickflip can be found at quantumkickflip.com or anywhere podcasts are found and their episodes about the walking pits uh, will be released on October 13th and 27th. So Indy, what did we watch this week? So last week it was my pick so I chose the Spanish film El Orfanato or The Orphanage from 2007. I saw it in theaters back then. I really enjoyed it. I think I'd only seen it once hmm. since again. But I claimed I love it, and I brought it to you for your first watch. So, Samantha, as the title goes, I love this. Did you? I'm at, like, 90% to I love it. Wait, so 90% overall? Because you said love is at 80%, which is, uh, I think, going to be part of your vows, I believe. uh no like i'm 90 percent of the way to 80 (laughs) percent okay 90 percent of the way to 80 percent which what makes you 71 no wait that's not right but either way you're i'm almost at love it yeah okay i like it a lot you like it a lot um i took points off because i hate the anxious feeling i get when i'm scared in a movie so this movie did its job, and that's your your biggest uh, problem with it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I get I get that, but it is hard when you're talking to people about like a movie that you think is really good, and their biggest problem with it is like, oh, I don't like that kind of movie mm-hmm. because I'm kind of of the mindset of anything done well, I I will love. Like I love a lot of romantic comedies. Mm-hmm. I love musicals. I love horror. I love everything if it's done well. Right. But you are more. Like there's things you like and things you don't like. And yes. you have a hard time kind of breaking through that. I do. And one of the reasons was because I I enjoyed the story. I enjoyed watching it. But I didn't enjoy sitting through it because of how anxious I was the entire time. Okay. Let's maybe talk about that a little bit. Because I love movies like this because I have a hard time being scared. Mm-hmm. I don't get scared very often. No, because you've been watching scary movies since you were six. That is true. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I did see my first Friday the 13th when I was six. Yeah. And I think I saw Return of the Living Dead then as well. But not Night, not until a few years later. Oh. But uh, I'm perhaps desensitized or perhaps I'm uh, dead inside. Who knows? But when you watch a scary movie and you feel that... I kind of like the reminder of like something more more visceral because mm-hmm. I think so many of our movies and so much of our life is meant to distance us from 
from the harder emotions, from right. extreme emotions. Right. Everything we try to do is to make sure that you don't have to be like extremely hungry, extremely scared. You don't have to go through those things. Right. And I feel like I kind of miss that in my day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. As stressful as work or something can be, it's not the same as a, like a true life or death experience. Mm-hmm. And neither is a scary movie. But it's as close as we get in a controlled environment. Mm-hmm. I think it's the same reason people love skydiving or racing cars or whatever. Right, because you get I that like brush movies. with danger, but you're not ever really yeah, like at risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, and I don't enjoy that feeling. That like makes sense. I, I get it because if it's outside of a movie, I do not enjoy that no. feeling. I wouldn't like to be scared in, in the outside world. But I do enjoy it in this controlled environment because I know all of my anxiety is going to be done in a hundred minutes. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I kept telling myself. But my instinct when I feel like that is to just get up and walk away. Then, yeah, and that makes sense because that's what we're kind of conditioned yeah. to do. But do you find when you're scared and anxious in a movie like this that you can still watch it? Like yes. you would watch another movie? Yeah. Yeah, I like I said, I really enjoyed the story and I enjoyed like the film itself. Um, I would have enjoyed it more if it wasn't so scary. Right. Maybe I'm just a wimp. <laughs> no, but it, it makes sense. It fundamentally yeah. makes sense. And it's probably harder to explain why I like to feel scared. Yeah. But I think people who like horror movies are just like, yeah, of course, I get it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the horror movies I like aren't even really scary. They're almost like fun. You celebrate yeah. the fear. Yeah. This one I do think is a scary movie. It's legitimately scary. This is probably one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. So what... We won't get into all the specifics yet, but uh, if you're not familiar... This is a more of a film analysis and review show. So it's not going to just be like, that was good. And it's definitely going to have spoilers as well. So if you haven't seen The Orphanage, go check it out now mm-hmm. before you listen to the rest of it. Because I think there's a lot of really good things that we are going to spoil. And it will not have the same effect if you watch the movie after listening to us. Yeah. But I do think you should watch the movie, listen to us, and watch it again. Yeah. So I think this is one of the scariest movies I've ever seen because it deals with something that I'm, like, legitimately scared of. Creepy children? Ghosts. Oh, ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. And I I don't want to get into, like, our ghosts real debate with people, but, like, I have lived in a house that was very haunted. That's why this movie was so scary to me was because this is, like, an actual fear that I have. That Yeah, if that makes sense. If you could actually see yourself in the situation. Because mm-hmm. maybe if you're watching a uh, werewolf movie, you're like, well, werewolves aren't real. So yeah. what's the... Like I'd be, if I met a vampire, I'm sure I would be scared. But that's not really something that I expect to happen to me in my life. Let's talk a little bit more about this movie uh, kind of at a basic level first. So I made the mistake uh, that I do every like 20 episodes or so. I guess I didn't even intend to do it, but I was looking for a Spanish language trailer to put up on our show notes. Right. And of course, all of the things I found were not trailers at all, but rather the orphanage explained because nobody got it, I think. Oh. So we'll come back to that. That's weird. But another thing I kept coming across was like, oh, this is not your traditional horror movie. Did you find this a traditional horror movie and what you think a horror movie is? Yeah. 
I think this is a return to traditions, absolutely. I totally think so. Because there's yeah. so many campy horror movies that are, like, kind of the genre now. Like what, for instance? Well, I'm just thinking about, like, the like the Jason movies. Okay, I don't think one of those has come out in the last 15 years or so. Okay, but, Maybe like, there has been that one. kind of thing is what people think of first when they think of horror, I think? Maybe. I think you are pulling a classic indie and being 20 years late. Because <laughs> just how I always think, like, yeah, it's 1985, right, guys? Yeah. Um, I think you're doing that this time. I think what people think of now as horror is jump scare, jump scare, jump scare. Right. And a little bit of the, like, lots torture. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That kind of stuff. So when I kept hearing that this is not your traditional horror movie, I think those people need to watch more horror movies because mm-hmm. this is absolutely a return to traditional horror movies. I think I actually talked about this in Beetlejuice, but all of the good like spooky movies, I think, follow the same very specific steps. The first little bits is about your setting with some initial little spooky things. Mm -hmm. And of course we get that here when they go to the new home, the orphanage. Right. Uh, You get that in The Shining when they're going to the Overlook. You get that in Haunting of Hill House. Everything happens like that. And then one person is convinced about the supernatural. Others are not. Usually it's a child that is convinced first. That happens here. That happens in all of those movies. Then... You get the possession and the call of experts, but Mm -hmm. those can be flipped. Right. The possession in this one is when they take, or we think they take Simone away. Right. And then the call to the experts is when they have the the woman come in and do her, like, walkthrough of the house and talk to the ghosts and everything like that. Eventually there's a confrontation. In this one, it's when she sets up everything like when she was a child mm-hmm. and then you usually in these movies have a really happy resolution with peace right and we can talk about how happy this is but there's def- definitely a peaceful resolution to this. i thought there was a happy ending but poltergeist the shining amityville all of them follow these exact same steps mm-hmm. this does as well so i definitely think it is a return to traditions so did you think this was more effective than the kind of jump scare driven horror yes yeah i hate jump scares like more than i hate being scared i hate jump scares because it's like the anxiety that i felt throughout this entire movie in like five seconds and i feel like i can't do more than like one or two of those in a movie before i'm just like over it i'm just like no this is dumb and i kind of hate this Um, whereas like they did spread it out and I could kind of deal with it. Yeah, there were a couple in here, but I didn't find them manipulative Mm -hmm. because I think I hate jump scares for a different reason. I find them cheap. Right. And when it scares me, I don't want to like applaud the filmmaker. It's like, oh, you got me there. Mm -hmm. It's more like, yeah, I could do that too. I can just go, boo. Yeah. It's it's not. Ah. See? (laughs) (laughs) Good reaction time on my part. But this one, I found the jump scares, because there there are a couple, but I like them because we have this more long, drawn out, mm-hmm. suspenseful fear. And when you get a little jump scare, like one of them that actually scared me so much that I ended up laughing afterwards yeah. was when we see Benigna in that shed. Right. Because I was so scared because they just had this shot of the shed. Oh, I know. It was a terrifying shot. And she like kind of blends in, kind of doesn't. Yeah. So then when you see her, she already has this appearance that is uh, 
it is both frightening and pathetic. Mm-hmm. And it's almost uncanny in a way because she doesn't look like quite normal. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. So when you see her kind of blending into the wall and then you recognize it as a person, mm-hmm. that actually did that scare me. That was scary. I was scared. And I felt that kind of little jump scare as a bit of a release almost. Mm-hmm. So of that anxiety I had of going to that shed. So that's why maybe I, your instinct is to laugh when you get scared like that as well. Yeah. So yeah, I thought that one worked well. I think the jump scares in this were, there's probably maybe three or four mm-hmm. and they're spread out throughout the yes. entire thing. And I felt they were well deserved. They weren't out of nowhere mm-hmm. and it wasn't just a face jumping out at you. It was something that made sense to the Yeah. Plot. And one thing I really enjoyed about this movie is that it wasn't like kind of a, I'm going to say like a current horror movie because I, I don't watch a lot of horror, but the ones that I've seen, it's like kind of boring for the first hour and then there's 20 minutes of like action right and then there's like 10 minutes at the end to like wrap it all up assuming it's like a 90 minute movie which they're not usually but yeah but if we're following the 90 minute formula um whereas this one like you said there was some kind of plot but the spookiness started right at the beginning of the movie yeah i think it starts out at a great yeah you kind of got that spookiness all the way through Mm -hmm. and not just like 20 minutes of really loud really fast camera transitions yeah it was a nice solid ramp up i loved the pacing of this movie for some reason, I thought in my memory that it was a little slower and dragged a bit. Hmm. Perhaps I was more impatient when I watched it last. Maybe. But this time I was like, no, this is just... This is... It was a good pace. No filler. I'll kill her. It wasn't that ghost movie that we watched. <laughs> Don't... Well, that wasn't... That's not a horror movie. No. That's like a... a transcendental art house movie a ghost story <laughs> but I we just, bring it up a lot on we this. do because i did not like it yeah. <laughs> did we do an episode on that one or did we just watch it i had borrowed it from the library and was going to watch it and you said yeah i'll watch this one yeah. and um yeah you did not I care regret for it. my decision after <laughs> <laughs> but yeah the overall feel of this i loved it because i always think it's more frightening to wait for something to happen Mm -hmm. than to see it happen yeah whatever is in your mind is going to be scarier than whatever can be on screen and this movie has so many chances to to jump scare you or to show you something horrific but it only takes advantage of that three four times and that restraint kind of adds to the anticipation and the a different kind of fear yeah i guess because you're afraid of what what is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And if I may quote uh, Alfred Hitchcock, <laughs> as I <laughs> you do. May. I think I've used this on this probably last year when we were talking about spooky movies. Probably. But he has this, um, I think it's published as a book, but this conversation with uh, Truffaut, who is also a very talented filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And he says uh, that the difference between surprise and suspense is that if... People are seated at a table and a bomb explodes. That's a surprise. But if people are seated at a table and we, the audience, know there's a bomb under the table and there's a ticking clock, but they continue to play cards or do whatever it is, that's suspense. Right. And I think this movie is definitely full of suspense more than it is surprise. That's a good way to put it. I know a lot of movies that I bring you in the horror, I always talk about like, well, it's actually a metaphor. This is mm-hmm. a metaphor for loss or the cycles of violence and all things like that. 
Do you think that about this movie? No, but I could be missing that. Oh, I think you're just second guessing yourself. I am guessing. <laughs> I am second guessing myself because I feel like you always get movies on a deeper level than I do. But I also said in why I love this is part of it is its simplicity mm-hmm. and return to tradition. Because I don't think you can make an argument like, oh, there weren't any ghosts. It was all in her head. It was her dealing with her loss. No. Someone could make that argument, but you can easily dispel it like, no, look what happened. There's there's ghosts in this movie. Yeah. This movie posits a world with ghosts 100%. Yeah. I think there's a little things you could say, like maybe that part was just in her mind. There's maybe little things. Right. But this movie is about ghosts and haunted orphanage. Yeah. <laughs> I think you could say that... The supernatural element is an extension of her grief or mm-hmm. is representative of it. But there are 100% literal ghosts in this movie, in yes. my opinion. Yeah. But I think it does mirror grief a mm-hmm. lot. And I think maybe as a film, you could say that this is representative of grief. And it's a metaphor on that level. But in the world of the movie, there's definitely ghosts in that movie. Yes. So I was talking about how there aren't any Spanish trailers for this movie on YouTube, but there are hundreds of The Orphanage Explained videos. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like you got it? Yeah. Was there some anything that you are, like, iffy on? No. I don't think so either. And I don't want to be like, well, I get movies, but I don't get what you wouldn't get. But that's also, this is, like, a good test because, like, I often don't get the same things from a movie that you do, but this seemed very straightforward. Yeah, so much so that at the end when there is a series of flashbacks to explain what happened. Yeah. If I have a criticism, I'd say like take out those flashbacks. We get it. We don't need yeah. we don't need that to explain it to you. Yeah, I don't understand why people wouldn't get this movie. Me neither. We'll we'll talk about the ending how about at the end of the podcast. Sure. And then we can go through things and maybe there's little parts that I didn't get or that you didn't get but Maybe, but yeah, I I feel like it was very straightforward, and yeah. it was very self-explanatory, but it did a good job of explaining when necessary. Yeah, it's all about the fall of the Ottoman Empire, mm, clearly. Did we watch the same movie? <laughs> <laughs> I kid, I kid. Well, let's kind of start at the beginning then. I love how this movie sets things up, because I knew the ending of it. I'd already seen it. Mm-hmm. So I was able to pay attention to the beginning and realize oh, they tell you the whole ending at the beginning of the movie. And quite a few movies, especially scary movies, when you rewatch them, you realize that. And you get to see all of those little things. So So where did they do that? The beginning of the movie is much like the end. So it starts with the uh, one, two, three, knock on the wall game. Yes, yes, yeah. So I love that. Right at the beginning, when Simone is in the cave, he invites what we then learn to be Tomas. Right. Like, oh, come home. Come to my house to play. And then, of course, that's why he goes over there, yeah. right? We do get really specific shots of things like the key before it's important. The mm-hmm. key to that uh, little lock drawer. The drawer, yeah. The shells. Uh, we have the sound of things knocking on yeah. walls, like metal things hitting walls. We have that very early on and people like making reference to that sound. And way before we get any word about Tomas and the other kids, we get to see a picture that Simone is drawing. Yes. And we don't even look at it then. We look at it later, but he's drawing it very early on in the yeah. movie. And the bit with those big stands that covers up the door later yeah. on. You get those stands like three times in the first 30 minutes of the movie. So it's showing you all of these things. 
It even covers the camera at one point. The camera is at the point of view of, I guess, what the door would be. Mm. And she puts the stand and it covers the camera, not letting you, the viewer, move. Right. Which will, which, of course, yeah. foreshadows what will happen later. I like with the, um, oh, which saint is it? St. Anthony? There's a saint medallion that the husband gives. I think it's St. Anthony. And it's the, the patron saint of lost things. And he says, well, give it back to me when you find him. Yeah. And then she, she gives does. it back to him. He finds it. Yeah. Yeah. So all of those things are set up in the first half hour. And it's just it's just well done. Yeah. I agree. So I know we'll talk about the ending later, but was the ending a big surprise for you? Yes and no. I was surprised at the fact that he had died because she had thrown the stuff back in the closet. Mm -hmm. Part of me wondered if he'd either gotten crushed by one of those like metal. Oh, so you poles. did see those things and think like, "Hey, this is something." Yeah, here. and because oh, I knew that he was like fond of hiding, right? Like, so I thought maybe he'd hidden in that closet. I didn't think beyond the closet, like in a basement. Right, right. But I definitely thought maybe he was hiding in the closet and he got like injured or hit his head or something when she shoved those things back in the... Because she does it really yeah. roughly during the party. Yeah. And she really like throws them in there. Because she's in a panic. Because she's in a panic him, and she's angry that all of that stuff fell out. And so she throws it all back in and I was like, I wonder if he gets injured because that. But it was actually something different. <laughs> you totally called it yeah. though, pretty much. I did pretty much call it, but I liked the way that they came to that conclusion oh okay. i definitely the first time i watched it did not think that he was just in the house dead somewhere mm. i thought it was going to be some sort of supernatural twist or something with the cave or something right. but I, I didn't think that those big metal stands had anything to do with it those i do remember going why are they showing us that i guess that's good attention to detail yeah but i didn't think anything more of it yeah i definitely thought that Oh, good job. You're a real <laughs> movie sleuth. Mm, thank you. I'll take it. <laughs> and if you know the ending, you can look for all of those things and it makes perfect sense because when mm -hmm. she's going to sleep that day, we hear banging and then one louder wood snapping noise and then like a, a tumbling sound. Yeah. So we hear Simone We hear die. it. Yeah. yeah. I thought that that was just like general ghost noise. Yeah. Um, not because like ghosts will often go. I'm talking about this like, like this is just like a normal thing, but like ghosts often use pipes or like things in the walls to make noise. Yeah, ghosts love pipes. Ghosts love pipes. So I thought maybe it was just like general ghost noise. Mm -hmm. the, the kids being because you know at this point that it's like child ghosts. Yeah, and it's kind of paying on our knowledge of other movies where yeah. ghosts are always doing that right yeah so i assumed it was child ghost and i assumed it was like kind of sounds of mischief right so i i kind of thought that that's what that noise was and uh not him actually falling yeah because why would you think that but i love that it's in there so specifically mm -hmm. and they draw attention to it so then when you find out the ending you're like that makes sense as soon as she put the doorknob into 
and then revealed that it was a door, mm-hmm. I knew that that's what has happened. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. You got it quick. <laughs> as soon as she put the doorknob in the door after pulling the things off the door. Right. Because you were keyed in on those big yeah. stones. Yeah. So as soon as she pulled them off the door and realized it was a door and put the knob in, I was like, I bet he's down there. Wow. Did you think he'd be dead as well? Yeah. Poor Simon. I know. For a second, when she picks him up and, like, he's talking to her and there's, like, all the noise of the ghosts and everything, I kind of thought maybe for a moment, but then it, it becomes pretty clear that she's having, like, a delusion. Yeah. You think maybe, like, in some way these ghosts have been protecting him or yeah, something like that. Yeah, and that he's been, like... But then you... I also thought about, like, he's got HIV, and he needs everyday drugs in order to stay alive. So... But maybe ghosts are the cure for HIV. Has anyone tried that? We should tell the scientists. Yeah, well, I know someone who's working on the <laughs> HIV know, vaccine. Maybe we need to get ghosts into the equation. Okay, we'll tell I'm going to tell my sister. <laughs> try ghosts. Try ghosts. Um, but I, I thought about that and, you know, food. Like, yeah, humans yeah. need food and water, and you can't just live in a basement forever. So, and it's been, like, nine months at this point. Yes. So, I was like, it's very unlikely that he's still alive, because also there wasn't the invention. Like, there wasn't, they didn't insert magic into the story. Right. So, there's no magic in this story. So, I was like, nope, this is just ghosts and bad luck. <laughs> yeah, no magic. Just no ghosts magic, and bad luck. Just ghosts and bad luck. Oh, what a bad day. And maybe some mental illness. <laughs> I wish my days had lots of magic, but no ghosts or bad luck. That's the perfect day. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go back for a moment. And there's a, one other thing that they set up that I liked, and that was their kind of Peter Pan story. Yeah. And that's another one where... At the time, my first viewing, I was like, yeah, Peter Pan, whatever. But then you see how important it is. And Simone says, when talking about Peter Pan, I'll never grow up. Yeah. And he doesn't. Oh, I know. I didn't catch on to the Peter Pan thing until the end. Yeah. And it makes, it's such a great parallel to draw mm-hmm. with uh, with Peter Pan because they're talking about how all of these children never grow up, just like all the, yeah. the children at the orphanage, of course, except for um, Wendy leaves and she grows old, yeah. but and Wendy can't go back. back. Yeah. And there's only way that she can go back is, is through death. Yeah. So that's what happens to her and she goes back. But I think that's the the most basic level that it works on. But I also think it works on a level of Peter Pan and this kind of end up being stories about creating a family where you can. Right. Right. It's not about your traditional family. It's about creating that yourself in Mm -hmm. the situation you're in. Yeah. And the children have done it. She has done it when she was adopted and then created this family with another adoption. And now she's doing it again by going back to the children. Yeah, exactly. I did like that. And it made the ending very sweet. Yeah. And horror movies are always full of rules. (laughs) And they set up the rules, and I'm fine with any rule you set up as long as you follow it. True. But one I liked in this one a lot was the whole, the closer you are to death, the more capable you are of seeing that other side. Oh, I agree. And that's something we see in other movies yeah. as well. But it's it's a classic, but it's a really fun one. I like yeah, that a lot. Yeah, I, I think that, that is very true. And I also think that maybe that's true in life, like real life. Oh. Like you often get... 
like people dying who are like on their deathbed who will talk to like long dead relatives Mm -hmm. and i think that might be the fact that you're like kind of one foot in one foot out again i i hope that to be true and i want that to be true but i'm so boring that i'm like oh it's probably because you're closer to death that you're just like trying to get everything in there and maybe you have that belief so of course you're going to do it and maybe the situation you're in you might not be in the best mental state. And, true, true. But I like yours much better. But I think that you just grow closer. And as you know you're dying and you've kind of accepted it, mm-hmm. then that allows you to be kind of like half in the afterlife and half in real life or like alive life. Whether it's actually happening to me or not, if I know I'm close to death, I'm going to start talking to all sorts of dead people. Yeah, do it. I think it's also comforting. Cleopatra, is that you? <laughs> I think it has to be people you know, but... Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Well, I guess that's good, Although too. my mom... <laughs> talked to Cleopatra? No, she talked to the queen. Uh, what? So my mom... What? Tell me. <laughs> so my mom had her first knee surgery, and she's probably going to kill me for telling the story, but... She is. <laughs> so she had... Um, the nurse gave her too much uh, morphine, and so we didn't realize but she was kind of slipping into this like almost overdose and so she was having trouble keeping her eyes open and my stepdad eric and i were talking to her and we were trying to gauge like how out of it she was and so we were like do you know who's here do you know what's like where are you and we were like who's here and she said oh you know my daughter and my husband, even though, like, we were the ones talking to her. So it was, like, step one, we're like, okay, something's wrong. Um, and then she's like, and the queen. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, okay, something's really wrong. <laughs> but you don't think that was the ghost thing. You think no, that's just a morphine thing. I, it was probably just a morphine yeah. thing. But I feel like... Did, did she specify which queen? No. Could have been Cleopatra. Okay. Yeah, you're right. See, maybe yeah. it was her. Okay. Yeah. It all comes back to Cleopatra. I assume it was Queen Elizabeth, but... But then it makes it less ghosty. It does make it Unless less... Unless it was Elizabeth I. Oh, maybe it was Elizabeth I. Anyway, so I, I do believe that, um, like, if you are closer to death, you can just, like, talk to people. Or perhaps the other explanation that is posited in this movie, that seeing is not believing, it's the other way around. So if you believe in something, you can then see it. True. That's why I need to get on board with believing more so I can see some ghosts. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. And I think that like once you accept that it's, yeah, once you accept that it's real, it's, it's less scary for one. And wait, if you think it's real, it's less scary. But if I'm like, eh, ghosts aren't real, wouldn't that be less scary? I think because there's an explanation for it then. But the explanation is terrifying. I know. The explanation is terrifying, but I think it's it's less fear of the unknown then and more like fear of the actual thing. Mm, perhaps. But you know me, I, I love the unknown. I embrace the unknown. I know you do. I realize that the vast majority of things I'll never know. And it just frustrates me. It doesn't scare me. <clears throat> I hope, my true belief, we're kind of way off topic We now, are, yeah. But what I'd really want... Because I don't need an afterlife with heaven and everything. What I want is, like, I just want to find out what happens. Mm-hmm. Like, just tell me what happens in the end. Yeah. And they'll be like, in the end of what? And it's like, in the end. I want to know what happens. The end. Yeah, that's what I want to know most. Anyways. Anyway, back, back to, to this movie. Yeah. Well, we were kind of talking about seeing is believing. So let's take a uh, 
very labored segue and talk about the visuals of this movie. <laughs> okay. How did you find this movie aesthetically? Uh, I found it very nice. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Oh, I love it. it I can't was... believe this is a first-time director. I don't know the cinematographer, but they were amazing. Like, the set dressing, the way it was filmed, the light. It's also timeless. Yes. If you said, oh, this movie takes place in 1920, I'd be like, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. If you said it takes place in 2020, I could mm -hmm. see that as well. Yeah. It's only that one time when we go into the city where you get to see, like, what year it actually is. But then also Beninia, or whatever her name is, mm -hmm. has, like, such an old-timey baby carriage, too. Yeah, that it's, yeah. like, almost like it could still be yeah. 1920 or whatever. So I, I found that nice because you were so ambiguous on the time that you didn't think about it. Yeah, and I think it's... Uh probably doesn't make any real sense but older things are scarier mm -hmm. right we're in 2020 now we should definitely have um 80s ghosts yeah right but if you had a movie where there was a ghost who had like a side pony and was singing true colors it wouldn't I don't be, think scary. I'd be as scared yeah or singing she bop <laughs> be better because <laughs> they'd also be dancing <laughs> yeah doing that 80s dance yeah, yeah. Yeah, neon's not scary. You no. Know? It's just not. Neon spandex is not scary. No. Well, On the right person. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's something really scary about like a Victorian ghost. Right. And the outfits these kids had, super scary. Yeah. And I think maybe some of it has to do with the fact that like old timey ghosts or old timey people... Like, they were more stern looking. Like, you think of all the photos and portraits and stuff that you see of people, and they're not smiling, and they're sitting very stiffly, and they've got those, like, high collars and everything, and they look very stiff, which translates well to ghosts. And I think it's anything you can't remember. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm not even that old, but I'm already getting to the point because I now have some very young coworkers and they talk about the 90s. <laughs> it's like, oh, so the 90s were... And I was like, no, I remember the 90s. You're wrong. That's, that's not what happened. <laughs> and uh, the fact that 90s style is like back mm -hmm. is real weird to yeah. me because I, we remember it. We do. I don't like things coming back that I remember. That I've already worn once. Yeah. Yeah. Because not only does it make you feel old, but it's not, it can't be used in a horror movie for us. No. So I wonder if when we're elderly, we'll see movies where there's 90s ghosts. Because now it's just like. And they'll be like, it's pretty bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, what was that? Because um, now it's just like. Bring it sexy back. What? Huh? Who's that? Are you done? <laughs> probably have a couple more, but yes, go ahead. Because uh, it's like, it can't be a nostalgic for us. It's not the past that we don't understand yeah but it is for uh, for other people now yeah it's weird but yeah i love the visuals of this i feel like in a lot of the times there's a symmetry or maybe not even symmetry a balance to shots that's similar to wes anderson because we talked about how wes anderson is so meticulous in his in his setup but it's different it doesn't have that same artifice mm -hmm. of wes anderson and i don't mean that as a bad thing it's just he is a like an artificial filmmaker. It's mm -hmm. stylized. It's over the top and it's it's beautiful for that. Right. But this has a lot of those same elements, but it still feels much more natural. I love the lighting. I love how everything is blue when she's sad. And I loved in the final shot, or not the final shot, but close to the end when mm -hmm. everything was that warm color 
when she's spinning and she had found her son and then the color drops off to be that cold blue yeah. again. And it's just a simple lighting thing. It was so much more effective than effective. a lot of more complicated things that are done in other movies. Yeah. No, I I definitely clued in on that. And the lighting and the like atmosphere of it <laughs> was so effective. Yeah, because this movie relies so heavily on building that atmosphere of both fear and sadness as well. Mm -hmm. And I think without this like great cinematography and color palette, a lot of that would be lost. Mm -hmm. I'm sure like jump scares and stuff, that's always going to work. Yeah. But the kind of the, the deeper emotion, the deeper core of this movie, the skeleton, if you will, mm -hmm. <laughs> would be lost without the this attention to detail yes. visually. Yeah. Like the... Um... The scene where she's pulling the bags out of... Oh, yeah. Like, you feel how dusty and, like... Yeah. She always wears white when she's discovering the truth. Oh, I know. It's funny. She had some impractical outfits for some of the stuff that she was doing. <laughs> the only one that I really found, like, appropriate was when she was wearing a tank top when she was having her, like, set up right orphanage, oh that like, like montage it's like a home alone montage yeah it i was. really like that too and it was like i was like yeah that's what you'd wear when you're doing like home improvement stuff and you're doing a lot of like physical work a tank top yeah <laughs> not a long sleeve white shirt <laughs> and i know in a movie that has both darkness and light mm -hmm. light is going to spill into things but i felt like there was extra attention placed to light seeping into dark areas mm. i'm not sure if that was just in my mind because it was something i'm looking for yeah or if that was a very purposeful and metaphorical choice that having light find its way through darkness and having these themes of looking for something throughout mm -hmm. the movie if that's intentional if so brilliant because like there's that one time where she when she, close to the end when she opens that door finally mm -hmm. and she sees the stairs and from up there it's lit more harshly than anything because it's just that one light bulb yes. thing. and you get to see really harsh light on the first few steps and then there's a really dramatic drop off into darkness yeah and in the past we hadn't seen that at all light always seems to find its way slowly and slightly through the darkness mm -hmm. but there we didn't but then it cuts to a shot from the basement of her walking down the stairs, and it's just a gorgeous shot. And we have this light spilling its way down and illuminating a path for her to find uh, the truth. Yeah. Ugh. It was such a beautifully shot movie, and I'm so happy that they continued it all the way through. And when I said she always find wears white when she's discovering the truth, that wasn't just a, like, why would you wear white digging through that? <laughs> but I think there's a purposeful attention to colors that people wear yeah. in this movie. Do you remember when we did uh, The Sixth Sense way back on episode two? Mm -hmm. Go check it out. Uh, <laughs> that was episode two? Yeah. That was the first thing we did. In The Sixth Sense, they use the color red. When red is on screen, the next thing you see is either going to be a death or someone who's already dead or mm -hmm. someone who knows something about death. Red is the color of people who are close to death. Right. And I don't mean like about to die, but close to death in mm -hmm. some sort of way. Maybe you're a murderer. That yeah. could be close to death. Well, that's like the red blanket she was holding when she thought she was holding him. Oh, was it red? It was red. For some reason, I didn't. I it thought was, it was. It was like it was like a deeper red, like a burgundy almost. Okay. It was definitely in that color family. Yeah. And there's so many shots of like maybe there's a... um 
not a teeter-totter, but one of those spinny type things, oh, a merry-go-round like type old, thing. Yeah, old tiny And it'll be like things. a red thing on screen and an establishing shot. And then the next shot is going to do deal with some of the like ghosty type things. That was a really good way of showing that there was going to be like a ghost or something was they'd show the shot of the thing turning like one segment and it was like oh something's coming <laughs> this time watching it i was able to pay attention to things a little more closely and simon is wearing this maroon sweater when he's drawing his imaginary friends and that is him he's accepted that ghosts are mm-hmm. here and he's drawing them that's his acceptance of them after Simone disappears, Laura is wearing the same sweater, like in a bigger size, the exact same material. I swear it's the same one. And that's when she is um, now accepting that ghosts have taken him and she's believing in the ghosts. Right. And then later on, Carlos comes, visits the house, skeptic the entire time, said, no, that's not real. I'm out of here. But at the end, he is accepting, right? He's wearing the same sweater. What? Yeah. The exact same sweater. I didn't notice that. I swear it's the same. It's the same material, at least. I'm sure it's in different sizes. Huh. But it's this uh, woolly maroon sweater. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't notice that. So that is uh, like the symbol of them each accepting that uh, this whole supernatural world exists. Hmm. And they do it at different stages through the movie. Wow. That's crazy. That is something that I did not notice, but is very smart in the costuming in the film yeah direction i think because i'd already know where the movie's going right i can pick up on those because you if you saw the red sweater you're like yeah whatever yeah because you don't know where the exactly that simone's gonna die that's so crazy huh usually blew my mind he had uh seen the sixth sense i guess probably another thing has in common with the sixth sense creepy kids yes so creepy kids work on you huh creepy children yeah i don't know why I was about to say, why is that? I don't know. <laughs> so many movies use it. And I wonder what it is. Like, I think maybe it's that there's like a big dissonance. We think children are supposed to be like angelic and innocent. Uh-huh. And then when when they are evil or demonic, it's kind of like the most pure thing being corrupted. And yes. that's like the big difference yeah. is, the, is the shocking part. Maybe it's that. Oh, that's, yeah, that's totally it. But in this movie... I guess they weren't bad. None of the kids do anything bad. No. Except for Simone. He's a bit of a jerk. Once they, I feel like once Tomas realizes that she's good, Mm -hmm. that the mom is just trying to help and that she wants to like create a connection with them so that they can like, so that she can find her son, then he stops doing bad things to her, like locking her in the bathroom or slamming the door on her hand. This is something I wanted to ask you okay. about. Why did he do that? I think he maybe he was testing her. You know what I think? What? He didn't. He didn't? That was Simone. <gasps> oh. When we find Simone at the end, so he was- <gasps> He's got the mask on! Yeah. Oh. Because Tomas has no reason to hurt her. He's a, he's a victim in, in right. anything. He, we don't have any belief that he's ever done anything bad. Mm -hmm. He may, we don't know that. But Simone, right before that, she had slapped him and he had slapped, like he, she had a plate or something and he knocks it out. He's in a, in a rage because he's just found out he's adopted and he might die. Yeah. So you could give him some forgiveness being a child who just learned that to, to freak out and slam a door and push his mom. Yeah. It's not the craziest thing. It's, yeah, it's it's a lot. But that's conceivable. 
And at this point, we don't have any reason to believe that that was Tomas. Tomas has never been just like a full corporeal being walking around and touching things. True. And we do see that Simone was wearing that in the end. Mm -hmm. I think that was Simone. Hmm. Yeah, you're probably right. It just makes it makes more sense. It I does, think. and I didn't think about it like that. But yeah. But you you're not supposed to think that at the time. No. It's when you go back afterwards. But it is interesting that they have those flashbacks to clarify all those things. They don't have it for that. No. But I think maybe the fact that what he was wearing that kind of tells you. Yeah. Right? Because they don't make any reference to why he would be wearing that. Yeah. So I think she slapped him. Yeah. He, he ran down to, remember, he kept saying, oh, he had to come to Tomas's house, his little house, which was down in the basement. Yeah. So he goes down there where he has been and probably does talk to Tomas, puts on the costume, the outfit that he was wearing, goes up there, pushes his mom, slams the door, and then in fear, probably retreats down goes back into the house and then when she's going crazy looking for him because she thinks there's a ghost child around yeah he tries she, to come upstairs she throws that stuff yeah. in locks him in there and he probably wasn't banging to get out immediately while everyone was there because he was probably hiding because he's going to be in trouble he just yeah. pushed his mom and then that day they also she has to go to the hospital right because she breaks her leg yeah so if in like a few hours why they didn't hear him they were gone. And then that night, they do hear him. And that's when he falls and, I guess, breaks his neck or something. That's so sad. Yeah. That was, like, so sad when I realized that I was right and that he had actually fallen down the stairs and, like, died. Yeah. And the mom, the last thing she ever did was slap him. I know. Yeah. Sad movie. Yeah. It is sad. <laughs> well, I guess we've talked this far, but we've never really talked about uh, the characters. There's only a few. But what do you think? How about Laura? Um, I liked her. Great performance. Great performance. Amazing. I feel like in movies like this, sometimes the fact that the character like goes to the school or whatever before is used too much as like a crutch for why they're back there. But I think her returning and her having some knowledge of the house really helped the story along because it's not like, oh, how did she know to look in here? Or like, how did she Mm -hmm. know where that was? And so it kind of made sense that she wanted to come back and make this like a school for like kids again and to like reinvigorate the house as it was. Mm -hmm. I think that that made sense and it wasn't kind of gimmicky or like used as a crutch to kind of explain the whole movie. No, I feel like every character in this was very grounded in reality. Mm -hmm. I think in a lot of these movies, you have the point where the wife believes, the husband does not, Mm -hmm. but it's so extreme that he's just like, what? No, that couldn't happen. And Carlos is a bit like that, but also like, it seems reasonable. Yeah. I see his point. If this was the real world, I don't think his actions are like crazy to not believe that there are ghosts because- He's like a doctor. He's like, oh, no, there's no ghosts. Yeah, he's got that science brain. Yeah. Right? And he's going to only believe in what he believes in from a science perspective. Yeah. And then on the other side, the mother character often goes like so far into mm-hmm. in, into hysteria, right? Yeah. That it's, it's less grounded in reality. And she 
gets pretty far and she has every reason to because mm-hmm. her child is missing but i never felt like it was too much or melodramatic it all seemed very appropriate for the situation yeah. which was a, a really drastic situation it was yeah Can but you... her performance was amazing off topic again can you imagine being carlos and going back to the house because he hasn't heard from her in a while and finding both of them yeah (gasps) i think uh initially i thought like why would he leave her there but she does like literally say i just need two days to say goodbye and then we can move on with our lives i also feel like he's at the point where he sees that there's kind of no hope yeah like he's he's i feel like when he leaves he must have been like it's probably the last time I'm going to see her because she's so far gone. Oh, I didn't feel that. Oh, I felt like that. I felt like he was trying to do anything to remove her from the situation mm. because he still wants a life with her, even though it can't be the three of them anymore. Mm. And he's even willing to say like, okay, fine, you can stay for two days and then let's move on. Yeah. And I think that's what he wanted because he, yeah, he has lost hope with, with finding Simone. Yeah. It's interesting we both took it different ways. Yeah, I think I'm more sympathetic with him than a lot of people are. Maybe it's just because normally the man in that role is so terrible that when this guy is just like, yeah, he's fine. (laughs) I think the worst thing that he does always is when he says like, oh, yeah, it's my turn. I'll go get up and get him. And then doesn't get up. (laughs) And then never does it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of appropriate for the, uh, the rest of this movie, right? Because he doesn't do the things that she and simone need him to do yeah so i guess i don't love him love him or anything but i don't think he was a a terrible person no no but it it was interesting to see his side of this which is basically just his wife spiraling into like the abyss yeah (laughs) yeah but it turns out though she's right mostly yeah yeah they just believe in different things. I yeah. think it's like a fundamental difference in beliefs that kind of separate them uh, in the movie. What about Simone? You said you thought he was creepy from the beginning. Yeah, he was creepy from the beginning. I didn't think so. <laughs> really? No, I thought he seemed like super cute. He was cute at the start and then in the cave, that's when he turned to be creepy. I think the situation of him talking to someone that you can't see is creepy, but I don't think his like demeanor or performance was creepy. Oh, I found him very creepy. <laughs> I also hang out with a lot of children for for work. I don't just like you know hang out with children. Out children, but I don't know. I've seen a lot of creepier kids. Is all I'm saying. Really? Oh yeah, <laughs> there's some creepy kids out there. <laughs> no, but I I thought he was cute. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, no, I I thought he was, and it may be because he is the same size as the kids in the orphanage. Mm-hmm. Like he's exact, he's like the same height. And he's orphan sized. Yeah. He's orphan sized. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, he is also was an orphan. True. Um, but yeah, so it felt like he was one of them more than like alive. Oh, like even when he was walking so around, well. you... yeah. And he also, I guess, eventually did feel more a part of that world. Yeah. As did Laura. But it just, like, it seemed like he fit that role well. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what started off the creepiness. Speaking of creepy, what about Benigna? Oh, my God. 
creepy. So creepy. So creepy. When she arrived with the papers, I was like, something's off here. And what I love is that Laura also is like, hey, something's off. Yeah. It's not one of those movies where she's like, oh, yeah, here's our daily schedule. Here's some keys. Yeah. Whatever. She was like, why are you here? Yeah. Why do you need to know that? There's something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like, because I was like, she's a social worker, but like they've already adopted him and they don't have any other kids at the house right now that and why like is she asking about the house fostering. and what you're going to change yeah. yeah like i i was like this doesn't make any sense because i assume that they're getting the house ready to pass an inspection why would the social worker be there already yeah and that makes me appreciate this movie more because the characters are competent and she was able to be like hey there's something wrong with mm-hmm. me here get out of my yeah, house yeah she just wasn't like oh yeah just come on in here's a key <laughs> like <laughs> and then one of the first really scary parts is when it's her in the shed yeah that was super scary but then it's also kind of like whimsical the music that they played a when she ran away bit, yeah that was an odd odd choice but i guess she is an odd character because you're not sure if she's threatening right because even when they go back to look for her and um she's carrying the big stick carlos is like what are you gonna do beat up an old woman and she's like oh okay and puts it down so (laughs) he rips it from her hand okay (laughs) (laughs) but there is this idea of like well she's not that bad right yeah so you're not quite sure what how threatening to take her and she looks like i was saying before strange and that's unsettling yeah those glasses but not like scary like she's unsettling yeah definitely she's she's a ghost too she's not in a literal sense but she is someone who is stuck in the past and she's Mm. living in that world so she's also someone that's kind of out of step with time yeah why did she murder the children because they murdered her son well it's it's jason it's jason Voorhees. yeah but you haven't seen those no (laughs) but you know it's jason i do (laughs) I know a little bit about it. So, um, well, maybe I won't draw the parallels just in case. I don't want to spoil the Friday the 13th movies. But I'll just say why Benigna feels this way is that all those kids took her son, Tomas, to the cave. They took his mask off and said, hey, come out. And they're they're making fun of him. Yeah. And, of course, he wouldn't come out. So then he was in the cave and drowned. Uh-huh. So she is, she killed all the people responsible for her son's drowning. Yeah. Very Jason-esque. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, so she was creepy. That, like, that shot where they remove the the thing off her head and you see her jaw just like... Oh, yeah, that was... Oh, that was, like, the only gory thing in the movie, really. And it was just awful. (laughs) I know that Guillermo del Toro is only the producer of this one, but he also like we saw with Pan's Labyrinth, mm-hmm. will have very little gore. And when it's there, oh, you it's feel So it. that's kind of what I was thinking, because I was thinking about Pan's Labyrinth. Was there another one that we watched? I don't think you've seen another one of his yet. Okay, anyway, it felt very him. Yeah. And I had to check, and I checked before we started recording, but I was like, oh, I thought he had like a bigger part, like a role in making the movie, but maybe he just consulted on that he he may have been more hands-on because the producer depends it varies Mm -hmm. greatly what they do in this case i don't know too much about it but i know that the director and the studio went to him specifically because they said if we have you on board 
we can get more money. Right. And he was like the biggest Spanish director around at the time. And I think the director. Well, one of the top three. I think the director is actually friends with him. That makes sense. So maybe they did have that like consulting, like, hey, yeah. we need something gory and like, do you want to go all out on this? Or it could even be as simple as they're using the same production people that he has used in the past. So Makeup artists. Look, yeah. 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 But it felt very Del Toro of no gore. And then when you see something, it's not even the most gory and because there wasn't even much blood no. or anything, but it's so unsettling disturbing in a really visceral way right yeah right like it was that that view of you look at it and you say that's not how it's supposed to look yes (laughs) basically and her jaw was basically like you look at it and you go oh that's not supposed to be like that Mm. (laughs) so it's uh it worked because it's so jarring to see the bottom of someone like the bottom half of someone's skull like that yeah um, and he tried to give her mouth to mouth. How? Well, I assume, so he's a doctor. He knows what he's doing. I assumed he did like the seal with your hand kind of thing. Mm, maybe. Because it doesn't, like, yeah, you should have a tight seal, but you can kind of do what you can. Yeah, true. Yeah. It was just so open. I was like, did he stick his whole face in there? I thought maybe he lifted the jaw, like, up and then used his hand to <laughs> try to form a seal. But and again, <laughs> specifics that don't really matter. He no. did what he could and he failed. Yeah. I think she was already dead. Yeah. Until she wasn't. <laughs> yeah, that's one um, bit that's very horror movie and didn't really fit in with everything. Okay, I thought being that Being entirely real because it, it seemed like a movie thing. Mm-hmm. And I forgive it because I think that they want more jump scares because mm-hmm. this isn't that type of movie, but they know that's more marketable. That's what sells, yeah. So they threw one in and then people are going to, it worked. Yeah. So, we both jumped. <laughs> so I forgive it then. Yeah. There was a couple times where we both jumped. And one time where I didn't jump, but I kind of did. And I praised you and for you not jumping. you praised me for not jumping. <laughs> I had my hand under the pillow and I just like squeezed it really hard because I kind of could tell it was coming. <laughs> I think the only one that really got me was in the shed when it was just a pan. And like I didn't see Benigna there, but then you see her suddenly. Yeah. And that one, that one got me. Yeah. Oh, man. One other character I wanted to mention was the, oh, I don't even remember her name, the medium, Aurora, I think it was her name. Yeah. But I just wanted to say that that is Geraldine Chaplin, who is Charlie Chaplin's daughter. Oh, really? And she has a very, very extensive career, but it's not known terribly well in North America. Oh. She was a, she's American. Chaplin was British, right? And she had like kind of a decade long career in France doing French movies. Oh, wow. And then she had a decade in Spain doing Spanish movies. That's crazy. Yeah. That's a really interesting career. And it's kind of sad that people don't know about it. Also, I love that she kept her last name. Yeah. Well, people don't know about it as well here, but she's worldwide is very well known as won all sorts of awards and things. And then um, the director of this went on to do some bigger American things. And she was in some of those as well. So I think she's in one of the Jurassic World movies. Oh, really? That's... I don't know why that's odd, but just... Uh, well, it is odd. Like, the people who made this making a Jurassic World seems, like, not quite right. Yeah, that's that's what seems odd, is because yeah. it doesn't seem like there's a lot of crossover into, like, Chris Pratt movies. Yeah, but then if you look at people who directed, like, Marvel movies now, it's like... True. We're getting directed a lot Hunt more... for the Wilder People. How about a $400 million Marvel movie? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you did um, 500 Days of Summer? We'll give you, like, $900 million to do this now. Yeah. But how about the uh, the scene with the medium? It's 
quite different from the rest of the movie and seemed more fitting with a lot of other contemporary horror films. How did you feel about the whole medium sequence? I liked it. It added like a layer. I I really like those shows. I can't remember what it's actually called now. BuzzFeed Unsolved. Yes, the supernatural. Supernatural ones. Uh, They... I love that kind of thing where they're investigating and this added such a layer of like kind of allowing her to think like know that she's right mm-hmm. that it's not just her that other people are in the world with her and believe her. I'm sure based on how I normally talk about movies the expectation for me right now would be like no they should have kept it somber and mm-hmm. timeless and not had all of that kind of technology and that whole scene is just too much like reality TV. I loved it. I yeah, thought it was great. It was great. Because what it comes down to is it was effective at being scary, mm-hmm. first of all. And then, yeah, that character stuff that you were talking about works well. And I think as much as we might not want it, that is a part of our world now. Mm-hmm. Those types of shows, this sequence in a horror movie, it has been around for as long as so many other tropes in horror movies so it's it's a part of things now it's not something that is gimmicky and only of this time because Mm -hmm. it's been around for long enough and when it comes down to it when all of those kids were screaming Mm -hmm. for help and saying they're sick someone help us it was one of the scariest parts of this entire movie it was just like it was so upsetting i don't even know if i was super scared i was just like so upset by that oh i was scared too (laughs) (laughs) i was probably scared too but uh but yeah i found that really drove home the point of them being like lost children not so much like malicious yeah and because of course we find out that none of the kids do anything bad yeah they just want to they just want someone to take care of them i also love that scene because it is one of the best examples of not showing everything Mm -hmm. because in a lot of horror movies i'm on board until they show like the demon in the or the witch in the conjuring and things like that i then it's much less scary to me and what i love is even if they of course can't show the ghost because they're kind of invisible to us at that point yeah yeah they do a great job of showing the reactions of the people watching rather than mm-hmm. showing the thing itself. And that is so much scarier because the performances in this are so strong. When we just see the fear on, uh, I'm not sure the actress's name, Belen Rueda, I think. When we see the fear on her face or those other people there, that is what's scary. Mm-hmm. Because... If we actually got to see children being sick, crying in their beds, I don't mm-hmm. think that would have been as scary. No. I think this was the the best way they could have done that. Yeah. So I really did enjoy that scene. I enjoyed uh, Lara's face because during this scene, you see her realizing that these are her friends. Mm. And she had left the orphanage at this point, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. So she is coming, kind of realizing that she knows these children ghosts and she's like kind of reframing how she's approaching it now that's right i didn't i didn't catch on but that must have been the realization point because then when she comes back she's like talking to them as like hey come play yeah let's work this out yeah and so she's she starts out scared because you hear screaming and and it's kind of a spooky thing that they're doing and then kind of moves into her being like 
wait a minute, I know these kids. Mm -hmm. And then wait a minute, what happened to them? And then she's so determined to figure out what happened and to try and help them in order to get her son back. And those sequences when she's watching the old video Mm -hmm. as well, that was really creepy. Yeah. Um, I loved how Carlos is is still, like, a skeptic. Like, he's, like, that man, Professor Leo or whatever his name is, uh, he was in there for an hour. He could have played with all the cables and set this up. Yeah. (laughs) But... It's true. He could have. Yeah. Like, I could, with the equipment I have, I could fake that. Yeah. But at that point, like, I don't know. If your kid's missing, I would be willing to believe anything. Oh, for sure. Right? It's any possible avenue, which is why I think Carlos lets them do this in the first place. I think he was letting them do that for for her sake. Yes. And I was just going to say, I think also because he can see his wife spiraling kind of in front of him. And so he's trying to really, like placate her so that she doesn't get any more like dangerous to herself yeah were there any other scenes that really stood out to you that you enjoyed before we get to the ending (laughs) um i think her sitting at the table setting everything up and then sitting at the table waiting for the ghosts to come like her Uh, first attempt to also like in home alone really yeah the home alone montage ends with uh kevin sitting at the table oh yeah Um, but yeah, like she, her first attempt to kind of contact them was by setting up that dinner Mm -hmm. or that lunch that she remembers fondly and trying to like, she made the same pie that they were poisoned with. I know. That seems like a bad call. I know. But maybe she didn't know that. She probably didn't know that that's what poisoned them. Why would she know that? Yeah. But yeah, so that was, that was like kind of a scene that um they did the flashbacks for and i i kind of loved it yeah I that like was that. that was really fun and um also when the it was kind of was the ending but uh when the blind girl comes and touches her face oh yeah well yeah, we'll talk about that okay. cuz i love that as well okay. uh one little thing i really liked early on in the movie is the sequence when she is in bed and she's telling her husband like exactly how she feels and she's so bare and raw mm-hmm. and the performance again i think was just amazing and if that wasn't enough and it was it was such a good scene just as as is as it was written as it was performed but then we get to see the feet in the bathroom yes. with again with light spilling into the darkness and then the light turns off and it turns out it was carlos there and who was in the bed with her? I think that one is maybe one you could say that that could have been in her mind. Mm-hmm. But either way, I loved her performance there and how quickly she was able to transition it from this uh, just desperate, broken mother into the fear of what could be behind that door. Yeah. Yeah, that was a really good scene. Well, we've been talking for quite a while, so maybe we should get to the ending of this movie. So like I said, there's a lot of parallels with the beginning and the ending, mm-hmm. both with um, the knock on the door and the the game, because at first it's for Simone so he could find his coins because the game is that they take your treasured thing yeah. and then you have to solve clues solve the yeah. clues and, and find it and then you get a wish. And he, oh no, what? isn't his wish that his mom and him can stay and play with them forever? Yeah. Did his wish kill them? I think all the pills she took killed them. But 
none of that would have happened. Maybe it's the will of the ghosts, True. the will of the game. Ooh. Probably not, but he gets his wish. Yeah, he does. He gets to stay. In it was a total tenth. monkey paw wish. Oh, what's a monkey paw wish? Oh, a uh, monkey paw wish. <laughs> it's from uh, another. What is it from? Is it a Twilight Zone episode? Twilight Zone movie? Uh, anyways, the monkey paw is uh, the story is that this person gets a monkey paw and it grants you wishes, but everything you wish for has like a terrible twist on it. Mm, okay. So you wish to play forever with your mom. You can. You both die and you're playing forever. <laughs> or you wish for a turkey sandwich. Turns out the turkey's a little dry. There's going to be some people out here that get that reference and they're going to love it. But yeah, so there's uh, the game is paralleled. And because her most precious thing has been she and we at this point assume taken by the ghosts. Mm -hmm. And she picks up on the game pretty quickly yeah. at first, but it's just the doorknob that that stumps her. Because I think that's before, did she have the doorknob for like three months? I don't remember when she got the doorknob. But either way, she do, does the first clues quite quickly and then has the doorknob. I can't figure out that part. And she checks all the doorknobs in the house. Yeah. She's going around everywhere and can't find it. And yeah. of course, it's very hard. But the ghosts lead her to that room, I think like three times. And mm -hmm. she just can't like put it together because she doesn't know that they're on her side. Yes. Right? But I love how watching it a second time, you can see that they were trying to help her throughout the movie. Mm -hmm. And we and she were just not able to pick up on it. True. And then with the one, two, three, knock on the wall that game mm -hmm. which was of course great i loved that so much but that was another parallel in the end and i loved how that was shot yes because i think in most modern movies you would have the knock and then you'd have a a jump scare a real quick cut and it would show that but this was so much more effective and so much more representative of the feeling of this movie as a whole because she would say it and then you get this slow, painfully slow pan. Yeah. Because she's scared. Yeah. She's scared, but she's doing this because she wants her son. And so she, yeah, she turns so slowly at first and nothing happens. So she's like, okay, okay. But even when she looks, it takes the camera a lot longer. Yeah. And that's, that's what this movie's about. It's not about that quick scare to startle you. Yeah. It's about what am I going to see and mm -hmm. how long can I prolong this before something scary actually happens. And then the time when you actually see one first in the doorway and then like the group of them. Yeah. Did that scare you? Yes. When the door opened, I was scared. Mm -hmm. And you're like, it's like the shed scene where you're studying it really hard to see if you're missing something. Then. Yeah. Because what's in the darkness? Because what's in the darkness? And then like who's in the doorway or whatever. And there was nobody in the doorway. I think there was like a desk on the other side yeah, of not, the hall. Not the first time at least. But yeah. it was just like, what am I missing here? Mm -hmm. um, because in, yeah, like in a jump scare kind of heavy movie, it would be in the first one. Yeah, or maybe the third one, but it would be all at once. Yes. There wouldn't yeah. be this build. Yes, and then as you see one ghost child, and then you see all of them, and they're slowly moving forward, and they look uncertain as well. Yeah. Like, they don't look... They don't look like they're playing. No, they don't look like they're playing. They look like they're like, should we be doing this? Like, yeah. should we be showing ourselves to this person and, like slowly kind of like approaching yeah but also that's the game right you have to be perfectly still mm -hmm. and then after they come close to her and they they tag her mm -hmm. i also love this choice there's so many times where she could scream in fear and any other movie they would go for it yeah she doesn't 
she takes a moment and kind of collects herself and is resolved and strong. Yeah. And that was a beautiful choice and performance as well. Mm-hmm. That it wasn't a jump scare. It wasn't her screaming in response to it. There was just uh, more depth to all of those. Yeah. Yeah. And she is very clearly on a quest. And she like takes a moment to remind herself what her what her goal is and then runs after them. So then she figures things out, goes down to the basement. We have the scene where we think he's okay, but that mm-hmm. was just her her wish fulfillment, I guess. Yeah. And I don't know exactly what to take away from that whole sequence. Like, is that her mind doing that to her? Is that some sort of supernatural thing? I'm not exactly sure what to take away, but I, I take it as just that's what she was hoping for. Mm-hmm. And she wanted it so badly that she sees it for a while. I think so. I think she's, I think at this point she's had a little bit of a mental break. And she has been taking those pills. All day. Yeah. yeah. Also, is she ill? No. Because at the orphanage, it's for children who have some sort of difficulty in one oh, way or another. Maybe. People are blind or they have a brace. And when she's talking to the medium and she, the medium says people who are closer to death can can see this Mm -hmm. and she pulls up her arm and laura has that mark i wasn't sure what that was from do you know what i'm talking about and then the medium also has all sorts of marks all over her arm right and she takes pills throughout the movie too does she yeah oh but she's also said she hasn't been sleeping so maybe those were sleeping pills but if they're sleeping pills why is she taking them in the middle of the day i was thinking they were pain pills after her like maybe accident when she hurts her leg yeah yeah but they definitely don't say there's anything wrong with her, but the fact that she was at that orphanage and the medium says, those of us who are closer to death, it makes me think that something was going on there. Mm-hmm. But I guess it doesn't really matter. No. But it does just link her closer to the kids again. True. Yeah. But yeah, she goes to the basement and it turns out that Simone is dead and we get the she's led to find the body mm-hmm. just like the ghost had trying to been they'd been trying to show her yeah for a while now and so when she pulled the mask off you were quite aware of who that was going to be mm-hmm. yeah yeah and when you see the the curly hair and i i like the the face they did on it mm-hmm. it wasn't like gruesome but it was clearly someone who's been dead for a while and someone who like died in pain yeah because he clearly fell and like yeah well, I think they, the reason the uh, writer or director or whoever it was made him fall is because as tragic as it is, it's almost a more merciful death than if he had just been left there without his medication to die from HIV mm-hmm. and for, for to turn to AIDS or if it... Or starvation. Or starvation. Yeah. It was kind of a small mercy almost. A little bit, yeah. And we're already killing a child in this movie and yeah. they're like, okay, let's, can we make it a little, a little, little more palatable? Yeah. And I think maybe that's why. Mm-hmm. And plus it would make it uh, more difficult if he was down there alive for days because then he could be making noise more often to mm-hmm. help her find them, find him. Yeah. And then it's like, why, why didn't she find them? Yeah. <laughs> like you had so many opportunities. Why didn't you? And then she she lets out that scream and she has not been the one to do that out of fear this entire movie. And then when she's saying no, 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 and it's reverberating throughout the house and we get these shots of the house and the rooms being yeah. perfectly still and just her anguished screams going through it. I thought that was 
like yeah it was pretty devastating mm-hmm. and again great performance it's so good so good and so well shot yeah well then we get into the kind of um almost second ending because she takes them or she takes simone up to the room where the beds were you see there's eight beds there there's only six of them it's like they knew they were gonna stay mm. there's a lot of little things like that where the ending is kind of shown to you earlier on yeah but like you were saying, that one part where the blind girl touches her face and says, it's Laura. <laughs> that was so sad, but so sweet. I might have almost cried. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was such an emotional moment, too, because you feel like the release of all that grief almost. Yeah. Because she realizes that she gets to be with her son and all of these people that she cared so much about in the end. Yeah. So I, I liked the ending of this movie. And again, I think people could make the reading like, oh, this is all in her head. But I think there's enough there that these ghosts were real. So why wouldn't her kind of ghost afterlife be real as well? Mm -hmm. So I'm on board for saying that everything that happens in this movie pretty much happens in this movie. I think everything happens in this movie. And I like that they actually had a blind actor playing a blind person. Did they? Which they don't have a lot in movies. Oh, I like that. Yeah, that's always frustrating when they have someone who doesn't have that like health issue playing someone with that Mm -hmm. and yeah like there's so many people who play people in wheelchairs and then like are not actually in a wheelchair right except in mac and me he was actually in a wheelchair that's why that movie's so great (laughs) (laughs) your favorite but yeah then we get the um the lines about like oh it's like wendy she's gotten old and that mm-hmm. she's going to stay and play with them forever. And as sad as the movie is, and it is, it's pretty it's crushing. Yeah. It kind of ends on a happy note. They as get happy what they as want. this could be. Those yeah. two, yeah, the mom, uh, Laura and Simon get what they want. Yeah. In the end, which I like. Yeah. And me who wants a bleak ending to everything, I was very happy to get it <laughs> because I loved the characters so yeah. much. Like she, again, I keep saying it, great performance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I uh, I liked the way that they ended it. And I liked what they did with Carlos when he finds his necklace again. Yeah, let's talk about that. So what do you think happened there? I think, because she pulls it off in, in like anger when she realizes that he's dead, the son's dead. And I think uh, it probably just fell on the ground and they didn't find it when they were taking care of the bodies yeah definitely but what do you think happens with uh, with carlos what do you think his journey is at the end there i think he's come back one last time to like you know closure maybe Mm -hmm. and i think he gets it because i think he realizes that she's okay and that somehow she found their son so do you think he believes i think he believes do you think he sees them no do you well, I think I agree with you because with my whole sweater bit that I talked about yeah. earlier, he's wearing that same sweater. So that is like a little subtle way of saying that he gets it now. Yeah. But I think when he finds the necklace, which was going to be returned when when she finds Simone. Yeah. So now he knows. And I think that's enough. Mm-hmm. But they did go that extra step of having those doors open in front of him. Right. I think it was just her way of telling him, like, it's okay. Mm -hmm. I'm at peace and I have our boy. 
And I think it's a really different image to have these double doors open and a soft breeze come mm-hmm. through than door slamming. And all that light, right? Because right? like, it's yeah. like bright and summer light mm-hmm. and it's very like daytime calm. Yeah, it's open and it's warm and it's accepting. Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't believe he literally sees them, but I think he takes this as a message of both with the necklace and with those doors moving and that breeze kind of coming through mm-hmm. that we're together and we're okay. Yeah. And he, he takes that away. And I think that's enough. I agree. And then he kind of smiles. And normally I'd be like, they don't need that. But I kind of loved it. No, because <laughs> you can see him kind of accepting and moving forward. Like, you know that he's going to be okay. Yeah. Because he knows that they're okay. Yeah. And him smiling and leaving doesn't make you think like is he gonna stay there and look for them is he gonna kill himself no, because we see... don't want the movie shouldn't go to those places no. and his character shouldn't go to those no. places and we can see that he's like okay i can yeah move forward they're not stuck in you know somewhere awful they've they've got each other yeah. but my rationale comes in and i was like look, anything is hell if you do it forever Right? Like, sure, you're with your son, the your most cherished thing in the world, but just every day, forever, no change. Mm-hmm. That's hell. If you do anything for long enough, it's hell. It's true. That's my... But that's not what the movie is showing. It's that they got what they wanted, and these children also kind of uh, get what they want. Yeah. It was such a happy ending. Yeah. As happy as a movie about a... Small child with HIV dying alone in a basement and then a mom killing herself when she finds him could possibly be in a house full of uh, murdered orphans. When you put it that way, it sounds awful. Whose bodies were burned in the furnace and remained there for When you say it like that, it sounds terrible. And another child who was uh, teased because of his uh, facial deformities and left to drown in a cave. But yeah, pretty happy. (laughs) (laughs) for ruining my final point no but that's (laughs) the i i i joke but also how great of a skill as a filmmaker to have all of those elements in a movie Mm -hmm. and then have you go what a happy movie yeah right yeah it's good work good work good skill it's it is an uh expertly crafted movie i'd say performances direction cinematography script all of it i think works works great together it doesn't have any single element that i could just dissect and talk about for years it's i don't even think a huge metaphor for something else Mm -hmm. i think it's a great story and it's heartfelt and nuanced enough it's it's like a good fairy tale Mm -hmm. is what this movie is and i think Of course, they know that. I said that thinking that I just came up with it. But then I realized, oh, they clearly went for that <laughs> with all of their Peter Pan references yeah. and just how these children are going no, to live on forever. No, you're the first person to put that together. <laughs> um, Samantha, any final thoughts on the orphanage? You were 90% to loving it. I'm still 90% to loving it. What? Not even the 91? This conversation didn't make you... 95% to 80%. <laughs> so out of 10, is a 7 for you? Uh, 7.5. Okay. I'll take it. <laughs> I know you don't like it when I do... 0.5s? 0.5s. Yeah. We have a 10-point scale, and you're always like, mm, 7.3 repeating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's how you know. <laughs> Yeah, I I love it. I think I appreciated it more perhaps this time. So ideally, I think you should watch this movie, mm-hmm. listen to us, 
then watch it again the next morning. Watch it at night when it's super scary. Yeah. And then watch it again the next day. It was definitely super scary. <laughs> yeah. But as great as it is at being scary, because I think, I also think this is one of the scariest movies. It's not for a lot of people, but this is one that definitely works on mm -hmm. me. But I think as scared as I was the first time watching it, I didn't appreciate some of the other things. And being able to watch it a second time, knowing where it was going, I thought it's not going to be as good of a movie because the surprise and the fear is mm -hmm. is the heart of this movie, the skeleton of this movie. <laughs> but uh, when okay. I watched it again, I was like, it's not. The fear is not the skeleton of this movie. Mm -hmm. That relationship that longing the despair and desperation is the the skeleton of this movie whoa man yeah great movie check it out everyone should El watch it orfanato from 2007 well let's take this opportunity to thank our second sponsor of the episode and that is our good friends at the edmonton community foundation so the ecf acts as a bridge between donors and charities in an attempt to create a strong, vibrant community here in Edmonton for generations to come. And you can start an endowment fund by yourself or with a group, and once it reaches $10,000, it can start distributing funds. And this year, the ECF is focusing on millennials, and that is part of their Vital Signs, which is an annual checkup conducted by the Foundation in partnership with the Edmonton Social Planning Council, and it measures how the community is doing. And if you'd like to learn more or start one of these funds yourself, you can go to ecfoundation.org. That's the Edmonton Community Foundation at ecfoundation.org. Huh. Let's get that money. Yeah, get it. Or you give it first. Oh, okay. Yeah. Then you get it. Right. They, I'm sure, can explain it much better than I did. But my <laughs> explanation is first you give it, then you get it. Uh, true. Yeah. I think that's how endowment funds work. I think that's First you give it, then you get it. That's how life works. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> that's just good advice. It is. For how to live your life. Yeah. First you give, then you get. Exactly. Is that karma? No. How we use karma isn't really... Oh, okay. Uh, it's... Let's not get into that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's karma, man. That's karma. <laughs> okay, well, we will see you next week when I reveal what my spooky pick for October is. And maybe we'll tell some ghost stories. Yes, we'll definitely have some spooky things for you as our spooktober continues. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling pretty spooky. Me too. I'm excited about it. I'm excited to learn about what your movie is going to be because... You haven't seen many horror movies no. that, without me because you kind of didn't watch them before. Yeah, so I'm exactly. excited to, can we get any little hints of what the future has in store for us? It's magical. Oh, black magic? Mm, I'm not going to say anymore. Okay. It's a nutcracker, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so spooky. Okay, we'll see you next week. Adios a todos. Oh, bye. If you ask me right now, I'd probably be on the side of like, no, I don't believe in ghosts, but I really, really want to. And for the time when I'm watching a movie like this, I 100% do during the movie. Mm. And I'm trying to carry that over into the rest of my into life. Into your real life? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Ah, what's that? It was a ghost. See, like that. There's no ghosts in our condo. You don't know that. This is a ghost-free zone. I'm not sure about that. We are also moving next month into a ghost house. There's no ghosts in the house?
Ghosts. There might be six ghosts in that house. Six ghost orphans. What? Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. No. Guillermo. <laughs> Laura. <laughs> Benigna. No, Benigna was the mom. Yeah, but in our house. Oh. That's one of the ghosts. Okay, gotcha. 